Uh, our scripture reading for today is going to be in 1 Kings chapter 17, uh, verses 1 through 16. Uh, so it's 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1 through 16. Uh, we have Bibles at the ends of pews. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, if you don't own a Bible, I'd encourage you to take that home with you as a gift from us. Uh, so it's 1 Kings chapter 17. If you need help finding 1 Kings, you can just kind of open to the middle where Psalms is, and then it's a couple of books in front of that. So 1 Kings 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, as the, Lord of God, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from there and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Kareth, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, uh, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. And he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Uh, This is one of my uh, favorite stories, uh, like last week from the Old Testament. And uh, before we jump into it, though, uh, you know, the well is almost 11 years old. And so uh, God has done just a, 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 by his grace, a, a neat work of bringing us together, making us a church uh, that would worship Jesus here in Silver Spring and then plant churches for generations to come that many others might worship him too. And in that process, uh, there have just been some key people and key churches uh, that are just absolutely critical to, well, reason, really the reason even why we exist by God's grace through them. They have supported us and cared for us, both personally uh, as Uh, your pastor, but also as a church. And so uh, one of those folks and their family are here representing also uh, an amazing church in the area. Um, So uh, the Lee family, can you guys stand up uh, representing Grace Community Church? I know you're you're like, stand up. Can we clap for these guys? Um, Mitchell, Sarah, and part of their slew, a couple kids are downstairs. Uh, They've got five, so they're trying to catch up with the Klinglers. But like most things that Mitchell and I compete in, I won. (laughs) Fishing is another good example. That's not true. He always beats me in fishing. (laughs) Uh, But just a great grace of God uh, to me personally in our friendship, Mitchell, and uh, Grace Community Church to support, launch, uh, and care for the well over these many years. Just really grateful. We're just going to jump right into the story uh, this morning. I'm going to tell it like uh, I did last week, and just uh, sometimes it'll feel a bit like a commentary as we go through it, but I just want us to hear the story. And then as we hear the story, we'll do what we have been doing, and we'll see how this points us to our amazing Savior, Jesus Christ, and also connects with some of the core needs in our lives. Uh, So if you're able and if you're willing uh, this morning, would you kneel with me? Uh, in your pews, and let's ask God to open our eyes to his son's glory that we might give more of ourselves to him and worship him. 
And so silently before him now, would you just praise God for who he is? Talk to him quietly and praise him for who he is. Thank him for his presence and his goodness in your life. And now tell him what he already knows, that you are not God. And ask uh, for a submissive heart and open ears, open eyes. Uh, that we together might see him clearly and hand our lives more fully to him. Enjoy him more, love him more, trust him more. Uh, Talk to him and ask him to speak to you this morning and change your life. Uh, Father, thank you this morning that we come before you and your words that are true. Uh, your words that tell us the story of your people and your plan of salvation that culminates in Christ. That This isn't a story with characters, God, but this is real people and real history, and it's really happened, and Christ really came, and he's really transformed our lives. So God, would you open our eyes this morning to your glory? Would you open our eyes to who you are and what you've done for us in Christ? that we might see you more clearly as our provider and we might give our lives more fully to you, giving our resources away as conduits of your grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we're in 1 Kings chapter 17. And remember, we're listening with uh, Jesus' eyes and Jesus' ears. We uh, started this series, The Good, Bad, and the Ugly, by saying, you know, Jesus shows up on the scene after his resurrection in Luke chapter 24, and he says, the whole scriptures point to me. He says, uh, they all point to me. And we said there are four kind of main ways this occurs. Uh, so let's listen for these as we listen to this story this morning. Uh, the first is the uh, historic narrative, right? Uh, the, the history of redemption, that in the beginning we have Adam and Eve created in relationship with God, but they sin and break that relationship. And then everything else that occurs in this whole story will point us forward where we'll keep saying, man, Jesus is next, right? He's coming, right? So the, the story moves forward towards Christ, Uh, The second way, uh, in the Old Testament, we have foreshadows, that there's an event or a system or something in the Old Testament that will foreshadow or point forward to Christ. We've got the Passover lamb that's uh, slaughtered in the Exodus, and and that points forward to the Passover lamb to come in Christ who's slaughtered in our place. A foreshadowing. The third is prophecy. Uh, back here in the Old Testament, we have a, a prophetic uh, saying, and, and, and then uh, we say that uh, this is what Jesus will be like, or this is where Jesus will be born, or when he is crucified, a bone will not be broken, like different prophecies where we say uh, this is stated to be true about who Christ will be, and then he is that. And last is typology, and this is kind of the one we've been focusing on, the good, bad, and the ugly. And that's where someone in the Old Testament, in his or her goodness, we we look forward and we say, wow, Christ is even better. Our Savior is even better. Or in his or her badness or sin, we look forward and we say, oh man, do I need a Savior like Christ. All right, so these are four ways, and let's listen with Jesus' ears as we listen to the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. Chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Uh, What is going on here? We have Elijah and we have Ahab, and and here's the context. Uh, In 1 Kings, what we have, uh, God has uh, given Israel a king. There's there's Saul first, so he's not a great king. Then there's David, who's uh, a man after God's own heart. But man, he's got a really messy life too. We talked about him last week. And and then there's Solomon. He's known for his wisdom. And and then things break apart in the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom in chapter 12 of 1 Kings. 
as God's people are supposed to be worshiping and following him under the leadership of the king. We've got a Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and Jeroboam goes up into the north, and, and Rehoboam down in the south. Rehoboam is Solomon's son, and, and, and in the south we've got uh, what we now call Judah, and then in the north we've got what we're calling Israel. And you've got all these kings, and there's, they're chronicled in 1 Kings and 2 Kings, and and there's been about seven kings now in, in northern Israel, remember, Israel and Judah. And, and in northern Israel, we've had about seven kings, and they are all terrible. They're terrible. Judah, we've got kind of a mix of some good kings and bad kings and some faithfulness to God and, and some unfaithfulness to God. But, but in the north, in Israel, it's all just terrible. And then this one king comes, Ahab. Maybe you've heard of his wife, Jezebel. I mean, her name just sounds evil. <laughs> and in chapter 16, we hear this about Ahab and Jezebel. Chapter 16, verse 29. Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel in the north. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reached over Israel, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And as it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria, and Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Ahab is not a good dude. He's leading all, leading all of Israel into sin and sinfulness more and more. He, he marries Jezebel, who's from Sidon, and, and kind of the heart of Baal worship. And, and then he says, man, let's erect all these idols all over our land, and let's worship Baal. Let's worship Asherah. And Elijah comes on the scene in that moment. He kind of drops in like a paratrooper. We're like, where'd this guy come? Where's this prophet of God come from? And he speaks truth to power right to Ahab. He shows up in his throne room, most likely in Samaria. And he says right to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Uh, see, Ahab has decided we're going to live by idols. And Baal particularly. And, and Elijah has decided, no, actually even his name means it. Uh, God is my Lord. Elijah, God is my Lord. He stands in front of Ahab and, and Elijah says, God is my Lord. In his actual name it means it. And he says, I, I stand with him against you and what you're doing, what you're leading us to do. And what's he leading them to do? To worship idols, Baal. It's interesting. Baal is the god, the Canaanite god of fertility, known for his rain and thunder, and providing what's needed from the heavens that the, the land would flourish and people would flourish and multiply. And, and Ahab and Jezebel, and, and now all of Israel said, We want this idol to provide. We want to treat this thing, this person, like it's God. Expecting from it our provision. And worshiping it as our Lord. And Elijah says, until the real God speaks, there will be no rain. There will be no dew. You can keep trusting in your idol for its provision, but the real God is going to bring a drought. It's going to last about three and a half years. And do you see what Elijah's doing? He is sticking it right to the heart of Ahab and right to the heart of his idol and the, the people's idol and saying, a drought is coming, there's nothing this false god can do about it. An idol is anything or anyone that we treat like God. 
in our worship or in our expectation of what that thing or that person will provide us. And the story goes on. And, you know, it's this, this moment. I don't know how uh, Elijah escapes Ahab in that moment because he, he should be dead. Uh, but he uh, walks out of uh, the throne room in this moment. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself in the brook Kerith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Kerith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. This is not kind of a great drop-the-mic moment. This isn't like, yeah, Ahab, here's what happens right now. Uh, God says, go hide yourself. Uh, go hide in a desolate place, uh, uh, the place uh, Kareth, which is the cut-off place. Like, get out of here and hide. And, and hide, and what's going to happen is you're going to be fed by ravens there. And go east of the Jordan. And, and east of the Jordan is not a great place, right? Like it's kind of moving opposite of where the people of God were supposed to be moving, in a sense of, of living west of the Jordan uh, in the promised land. And now God is saying, hey, go hide in this cut-off, desolate place, a place of solitude. And drink from the brook that's there, and I'm going to feed you with ravens while you're there. It's east of the Jordan. Go find yourself there. Because as Ahab needs to learn and understand that God is the true provider, the one true God, who is to be worshipped and, and sought for all things that we need. So Elijah is now learning in solitude and quietness, being cut off and separate that even the ravens might be God's place of provision for us. A raven, an unclean animal from Deuteronomy, right? Like, uh, we have, we've got one really good ravens fan here. Who? <laughs> Who loved when the staff studied this passage together on Sunday, on Monday, or Tuesday, sorry. An unclean animal in a place where, where we're saying, well, Lord, what the heck are you doing? I'm in this cutoff place. I, I move backwards uh, in the sense of the plan. I'm here all alone. Like I stood before Ahab like you said I ought to have done. And, and now here I am by this brook and I'm lapping water out of it. And I'm waiting in the morning and the evening for bread and meat. That's what we call a sandwich, right? Bread and meat. This unclean animal bringing in the most uh, unexpected ways of provision. God is saying, I commanded the ravens, and they're going to come feed you in this place of isolation and desolation. The pattern kind of keeps continuing here, where the, Lord, uh, the word of the Lord directs Elijah, and then uh, he, he reminds Elijah that it, there is going to be a provision. He's commanded, in this case, the ravens next in the widow to meet Elijah there, and then it happens according to what the Lord said would occur. So he goes and he's fed by the ravens. It must have been a miraculous thing to sit by this uh, brook, and in the middle of this famine, the water is still flowing, and these ravens are coming, and God is providing. You're thinking, man, I didn't know how I was going to survive. I didn't know where that next paycheck was going to come from. I didn't think I had the strength to go on in that marriage. I didn't think, how, where? And just day after day, the daily bread is coming from the ravens in the sky, a source he never would have expected. Verse 7, and after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. <laughs> Uh, Elijah had pronounced it would occur, and then it did occur, and even in his faithfulness, there was just what he probably felt like a lack of fruitfulness. Like, uh, here I am being faithful to you, God, and, and now I'm out here on my own. I, I, I'm learning a new dependence on you, but, but now the brook's dried up. Hey, like, it was a pretty terrible plan to put me out here in the first place. Thanks for the brook. Thanks for the ravens. But now the brook dries up. 
And the Lord speaks to Elijah in verse 8, and he says, The word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a woman was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, Bring me a little water and a vessel that I may drink. And she was going to bring it, and he called to her, and he said, Whoa, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I might go in and prepare for myself and my son that we might eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did, Elijah said. I love this line. And she and he and her household ate for many days. So here's what happens. Uh, Where is now Elijah called? He's called to uh, Zarephath and Sidon. This is where uh, Jezebel is born. Like this is uh, the buckle of the Baal belt. This is in the middle of Baal country. Like he's up north uh, outside of uh, the typical land of even Israel. And he's right where they worship these idols. Right in the heart of it where Jezebel herself is born. Jezebel had probably walked past this widow at the city gate many days. And Elijah shows up right there, and, and again, he must have been thinking like, Lord, I, I stand before the king, I say what you want me to say, and then you come up with this crazy, terrible plan to send me by a brook that's going to dry up because I just pronounced a drought in the land by your power and might, and now I'm experiencing the realities of that drought myself, and you're feeding me with ravens, and now I'm in Zarephath, you're, you're sending me to go to right where all this idol worship is, like, this is not a, a hometown, this isn't a, a home team country, like, I am in the, the, the belt of the Baal, or Baal belt. And he shows up there, and lo and behold, As the Lord said, there's a widow right there, a widow that God had commanded and prepared to feed Elijah. I love how she's described. By the way, doesn't this feel backwards, like God's people coming? Aren't we supposed to feed the widow and the orphan? And here, she's going to be his provision and might and sustenance by God's grace. And she's out at the gate, and she's picking up sticks Actually, when she goes to describe what she's doing, she's saying, I'm gathering a couple of sticks. It reads, I'm gathering two sticks. I have two sticks. Look, I got two sticks. I got a little handful of flour. I got a tiny bit of oil. Right now, I'm literally planning uh, to take this flour and this oil and these two little sticks, and I'm going to bake a tiny little piece of bread, and me and my son, we're at the the brink of death because of this dang drought, and and we're going to die. And Elijah, I mean the audacity of Elijah, he goes, all right, that's fine, but before you go, Before you go and make that little last meal with that little last morsel, and before you die, would you just go ahead and make me a meal first? Like, would you bring me a little something to drink, and then would you bring just a little cake, he says. (laughs) Bring me a little cake and do that first. In your faith, he says, would you trust the word of God that is said, if you would provide this for me, that God himself will be your provision and carry you from this day forward? Would you trust in the God of Israel, the one true God by whom I live? He is my God. Would you trust in him rather than even the meager resources you have and the worship you're probably doing to Baal right now? And she does. She goes in. Can you imagine her at that moment? She's like, I cannot believe what I'm doing. I'm going to take this last little bit. There's some burly, ugly prophet out there. 
and I'm going to make him a cake with this last bit of oil. Me and my son are going to die hungry. We're not even going to get our last meal. And she does it. She went and did as Elijah had said, verse 15, and she and he and her household ate for many days. I don't quite know how that happened, but over and over again, God showed his daily bread provision in the faith of this widow, in the faith of Elijah, with the audacity to follow the command of God and say, God, you are my provider. This sounds ridiculous. And the Elijah and the widow is there saying, oh, maybe God will be my provider. This sounds ridiculous. And the jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Here's the sum. God is my provider. God is my provider. God is our provider. Trust in God. He keeps guiding and providing all through the passage. First he says, go and do this, and when you go and do that, I have commanded a raven, I have commanded a widow, I will provide for you there, and then it all happens according to his word. So what God says he's going to do, he then does. He keeps providing and guiding all through the passage, uh, uh, Elijah trusting in a sovereign good present God all the way through, a widow trusting in the sovereign, good, generous God as she gives even from her little. He's not just guiding and providing. What he's doing here, what God is doing, the one true God, is he's proving to us, I am your provision. Notice with Ahab, right? Ahab has said, you are not my provision. You are not our people's provision. Actually, Baal is, and we're going to trust in him. Absolute rebellion, direct rebellion from God to say, actually, I will choose a different idol, someone else, something else, to treat as though it or they are God, and I will worship it, and I will uh, expect it to provide for me. And God says, no. These idols, these other things are not your provider. And then Elijah says, man, Maybe it's going to be how good I speak, right? He's going to do some amazing things coming up. <laughs> this is this moment where he's kind of being prepared in the private for his public ministry, and it's going to be through kind of isolation and suffering and seeing, oh, even God will provide through the most crazy of ways. And so God takes Elijah to this desolate place and places Elijah before this needy widow in order to say, hey, guess what, Elijah? You're not your provider, you're not your own provider. It's not your own gifts. It's not your own effort. It's not your own goodness or, or strength. It's not you who are going to provide for yourself. Actually, I'll do it with a raven and I'll do it with a widow and I'll show you when you have nothing, even I can do it then. And then God, with the widow, right? She is short on resources. And she must have been saying, it is not enough. And, and God in that very moment is saying, it's not even the amount of your resources that will be your provision. It is God himself. It is not this or that. It is not you, and it's not having enough. God is your provider and my provider and our provider. Oh, hasn't he shown it to us in Christ? <laughs> Hasn't he shown it to us in Christ? You know, in, in our lives, we'll go through this process of going from thinking, I'm pretty awesome. And as a kid, you think, man, I'm invincible, right? Um, a couple weeks ago, Leo, who's eight, comes in wearing his soccer jersey and his backward hat, thinking, I'm awesome. I'm invincible. And he goes, Dad, I got a hat trick today. And I'm like, buddy, that's amazing. And I can almost picture him on the practice field doing his little airplane every time he scores. And he said, you know, if I were to kind of label Leo's life, it'd be, I got this, right? Like, he's a great little kid, but he's thinking, 
I'm, I'm pretty awesome, right? Like, I can jump off the deck and not break a bone. I, I can swing this axe and not cut my finger off, right? Like, he's, he's that kind of kid. And that, that's kind of all of us as we're little kids. And then, you know, we, we head into elementary school, middle school, and high school. You know, I remember as I went into college, I, I remember thinking, you know, I, I think I got this. Made the lacrosse team. I was lifting more than ever I had. I was running a ton. I'm like... I'm pretty much never going to wear a shirt in the dorm room. <laughs> I'm pretty awesome. I think I got this, right? Like, I've got what it takes. I, I mean, I was pretty cool when I was little. I'm pretty, I got the resources I need. Things are going well. And, and then, you know, you kind of head into that first job, and you, you get a little bit of knee shakes, and you're like, yeah, I, th- I think I got this. And then the job goes okay, right? And and then you're single for a while, and you're like, man, I think I got this single life. And, and then you get married, and you're thinking, man, I, yeah, I think I can get this. And I, I remember kind of uh, heading into the wedding, and I remember thinking, wait, 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 I'm responsible for caring for her now, too. And I'm supposed to do it in the way that Jesus did by dying, that she would flourish and giving all my, And then I started thinking, oh, I'm not sure I got that. And then, you know, and then we had uh, the first kid, the second kid, the third kid. Some of the kids, you know, got this or that kind of going on in their life. And I remember thinking, whoa, I don't got this. You ever had those moments, right? Maybe it was in your singleness and you're, man, you're flourishing in singleness. But after a while, it turned into loneliness. You started thinking, man, I I don't got this. This is not the way, uh, like, what are, what are, I don't got, I don't have what it takes. I, maybe it was when you went into your first job, right? You, you, you went in this job and you're thinking, oh man, man, I, what am I to do? I, I don't think I have, this is a bit too much for me. Who, how will I get through this? What, what will God do to provide? Well, I, don't, I don't got this. And then the job went terribly and then you got fired. And then you thought, oh man, I don't, I don't got this. Or this health issue came into your life, and you just thought, man, I, I, I can't make it through this. I, I don't know how to, to be my own provider and my own strength in this. This is too much for me. Every once in a while, you'll be watching a big sporting event, right? And, and somebody will get up after a, a huge win, the Super Bowl or World Cup or something. Let's take the Super Bowl. And, and somebody will say, did it with the Lord's strength. I can do all things through God who strengthens me. And you think, man, yeah, Bible. And then, first, then you think, wait a second. Is that what that verse is actually talking about? Like, I can do all things, right? Like, uh, I can become the CEO if I want. I can, uh, I can plant 89 churches, right? Like, uh, I can do all things through God who gives me strength. If I just believe he'll do it, then he'll do it. I can do it. That's not at all what that passage is talking about. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, if you know anything of Paul's life, if I know anything of Paul's life, he, he had it awesome, right? Actually, he had like won the Super Bowl. He was the cream of the crop, the tip of the top. He had everything. And then he finds himself in a Roman jail, and he's writing the book of Philippians. And he's got nothing, actually less than nothing. He's jailed. And it's because he had decided, I'm going to live for Jesus as my provider, as my Lord, as the one I will worship and expect all things from. He is my God. No other idols, not myself. And even in my uh, slim resources, this is my God. He starts living for him, and everything goes terrible. It's like, man, you're going to go by this brook and be fed by ravens. He's like, that's a terrible plan. Uh, That's Elijah. Paul's life, it all falls apart. He finds himself in jail, and here's what he writes. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10 and following. I rejoice in the Lord greatly, now that at length you've revived your concern for me, Philippian church. You were indeed concerned for me, but you didn't have an opportunity to show it. Verse 11, now that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, And I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. 
I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Plenty and hunger. Abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's kind of you to share in your troubles, and the Philippians know that from the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, and he goes on and talks about how even they are meeting his needs as well. But did you hear it? In plenty or in want, in abundance or nothing, uh, here's what I have learned. My God is my provider. He's shown it to me on the cross. He's resurrected. He's walking with me. He is my God whom I worship. In plenty or in want, I can do all things through, with, in Him because He is my God, not that idol. Is God prying your fingers off of the idols in your life? Is God prying the fingers off of the idols in my life? Now let's ask ourselves this question then for a second. Who or what are we treating like they or it is God? Uh, Who or what in your life are you treating like it is God? Uh, One of the main places we do this is in our own provision, in our job, in our bank account. Uh, Baal has got this uh, uh, image of the bull, right? That's Baal is a bull. And we think of, if, man, if we could just be in a bull market, right? When, like when things are taken off in my job uh, in our country, if, if we could just be going uh, further up and further in, like if, if it just keeps getting better and better, uh, we'd be optimistic, have hope. Uh, I can provide for myself. It's all going well. And maybe God is taking you into a strange place right now ripping some of that stuff away. Because here's what we often forget. That our job that we have right now is even God's raven of provision in our lives this moment. That God is our provider. He is our source. And everything else is just a resource for Him. Uh, That right now it's our job, but maybe that thing spirals and we lose our job. But then the raven that flies in is the church. A friend who says, I'm going to carry this along with you until God provides another job and another raven in that way to fly in and give you sustenance. But for us, it's not just the fact of having a job or having money. It's that deeper thing that we are longing for and looking for in it that is the true idol behind it. See, for some of us, the money and the provision we get in our job, it's all about security, right? Like, I need to have security from this or that to provide for myself or to provide for my family. But then for some of us, our our money and our provision, it's all about validation, right? Right? Like, I got to drive the right car. I got to wear the right clothes. And, And that's the deeper, the core issue that we are longing for in our idols that only our God can provide. See, an idol is going to promise life and deliver death as it steals our joy seeking it there. An idol is going to promise life and deliver death when we give our lives and lose our joy seeking these things there. Who or what are you treating like God in a core, deep way? Maybe it's not your provision or your finances or your job. But where are you looking for these other deep things in your life? Purpose, embrace or acceptance, security, value, validation. See, Jesus is going to come on the scene in in Luke chapter 4, verse 16 and following. In in Luke chapter 4, verse 16 and following, he's going to say, uh, you know, I came to seek, save the lost. I came to uh, rescue uh, the orphan and and, and release the chains of the oppressed. I came to give life, right? And he'll say it in John 10, 10, life and life to the full. And everyone's cheering. They're saying, man, you came to save. Whoa, this is amazing. This is his hometown. And then he says, but you guys, you're not placing your faith in me. And then he'll make reference to the widow at Zarephath. And in Luke chapter 4, verses 25 to 27, he says, For, yeah, remember the days of old when, when the Lord sent Elijah even after that one, <laughs> even after that widow. And she showed such great faith and trusted in God. And God said, I want even that one who has nothing, who cannot provide for themselves. I'm coming for you. 
if we would just place our faith in Him as our source of life, worship Him as our source of life, look for Him for our provision and our security and our embrace and our value. All through His life, Jesus says things like in John chapter 6, He says, I am the bread of life. You can look for sustenance and satisfaction in that relationship over there, but I am your sustenance. I am your satisfaction. I am your life. He says in John chapter 7, I am living water. I will quench your thirst. You can keep shoving the sand of your job into your mouth, trying to satiate that thirst, but over and over again, you'll never have the validation you need out of it. You'll never have the security you need out of it. It will keep making you more and more thirsty. I will be that refreshing water for you, Jesus says. He summarizes it kind of in John 10.10. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have a life and have it more abundantly. In John 11, he says he's the resurrection and eternal life. If we would believe in him, we would never perish, but he have eternal life. Now, see, an idol, it can't get to the depth of our need, that, that money can never kind of get deep into, that uh, another relationship can never get deep into. It's never enough in the deepest of ways. But an idol also, it can't get through the length of all eternity to carry us into an eternal place of joy and relationship and living with our God, the one true God, by the grace of Christ. I want to do two just little reflections here as we turn our gaze to a final couple takeaways and then are fed by God himself at his table. Uh, The first reflection is simply... If you've not trusted in Christ, if you've not received Him, and if you've not decided to worship Him as the one true God, to, to receive what He's given you on the cross as a payment for your sin, would you do that this morning? Uh, if, look, if that relationship or this place at work or that thing is not bringing the satisfaction that you had hoped for, would that be the light bulb that would go off and say, I'm looking in the wrong places? And would you reach out to Christ this morning? And receive Him as the one true God to worship in Him and live for Him. So do that in your reflection if that's you. And then uh, the second reflection in this moment of reflection is if you have been following Jesus, but in a sense you've forgotten that He is your provider. And in a sense, you, you are, are living and lacking. And, and you, like me, often are, are not realizing the depth of His provision. With this verse out of Matthew chapter 6, as it leads us into a time of reflection, be a guide for us. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. They're not worshiping me. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let's enter into a time of reflection here for a moment. Uh, if, if you need to receive Christ, would this be a time where you would receive him? If, if you need to look back on his uh, bountiful, particular, and generous provision in your past, in your present, and your future, would you do that? And I'll guide us through both. Let's close our eyes and reflect for a moment. The 
But Father, there are some here that are not yet trusting in your Son as their ultimate provision. Would you draw those men and women and kids to yourself right now? And God, there are some of us here who have forgotten your very particular and generous provision over our lives. Turn our eyes now, Father, each one of us, to places where you have provided in the past. Like the lilies that you kept clothing and the birds you kept feeding, you kept meeting us in very particular and generous ways. God, turn each of our minds and our hearts there right now to see your provision particularly. Father, now turn our eyes and our minds and our hearts to today. How are you providing for us in this very moment, each one of us individually as your sons and daughters and us as a family together? Turn our eyes there, I pray. Maybe you are carrying us through something that is too hard to carry ourselves. Maybe you are blessing us like crazy beyond what we ever imagined. Maybe it's just normal day in and day out and our daily bread keeps coming in. Father, what each of us declare right now is who you were, you are today, who your word says you are, you are. You are a good and mighty Father who is with us as your sons and daughters. You have shown us your provision in Christ. You've made us family together and you've made us yours. We want to worship you. We give you thanks and praise for your particular and generous provision all through our lives. Many of us have even gone on vacations. You have blessed us so ridiculously in life. The relationships, the friendships, the family, the car that barely putters but gets us there, you have given us so much and more. You've given us your son and so many things on top. We worship you and we praise you. You are our God and provider. Amen. Because of this, two quick takeaways, and then we will be fed by our God at the table. Uh, the first takeaway is this, be a raven, be a widow. You know, one response to a sermon like this and a text like this is, all right, I'll let go and let God. That's not good. Like, keep at it in our lives, following and faithfully, getting better at our job, doing an excellent work, uh, seeking a job if we don't have one, all this kind of stuff. But, but in the midst of it, too, in our need and in our want, particularly when we don't have the resources, would we each be a raven and a widow to one another and meet each other's needs as the family of God? No widow overlooked. No orphan overlooked. No one sitting alone in the pew overlooked. Even in when you're in one of those moments, it's like this, oh, woe is me moment. I'm going to cook and die. <laughs> it's even in those moments when, when you're like, man, I am so lonely. Well, guess what? That other person in the church is saying the same thing. They're like, why wouldn't someone reach out to me? And you're saying, why won't someone reach out to me? And when you reach out to them, guess what? <laughs> Neither of you are lonely anymore. <laughs> and when we give what we got, we often get what we need. When we give what we got, we often get what we need. Because it comes back to us in the life of the church and with one another by God's grace often. And it also releases our hearts from our deepest places of satisfaction and our deepest places of security. See, when it comes to our money or our provision, we, we sometimes don't give like the raven or give like the widow because we think, man, I've got to save so much to be secure or I've got to spend so much to be satisfied. And a saver is never secure and a spender is never satisfied, but a giver is both. 
A saver is never secure and a spender is never satisfied, but a giver is both because when we give like the widow, when we give like the raven, what we see is, man, you are my God, you are my provider, and it doesn't run out. I'm just a conduit of your grace. It loosens the chains of our hearts around our stuff. Second and final takeaway is, oh, I got to tell this story. I, I can't. It's too good. I'll tell it next. I'll tell it next week. Second and good takeaway is this. Release control and obey. Release control and obey. Uh, I can just imagine Elijah will stand before Ahab and say, what? And God says, look, are you going to trust my word and do what you are called to do or not? Am I your provider, God says, or not? If I am, then you can trust what I say because what I say I do, and therefore what I say is good. You ought to do what I say. But it often feels like a complete release of control to say, I do not want to forgive that person. And God says, forgive that person. And we have to step out. It sounds like a crazy plan, but I'll forgive. When God says, give generously with your resources and your finances, and we say, no, I need to save a bit more or spend a bit more for satisfaction. He says, no, actually, go this way. And we say, oh, it sounds crazy, but I'll release control and obey. Release control and obey. You know, Elijah, where he's going to head from here. He's going to raise this widow's son right after this passage. It's amazing. (laughs) And you say, man, Elijah, you're crushing it, right? And then he's going to get all these 400 prophets of Baal. He's going to get them together. He's going to have this moment of showing off God and his glory. You say, whoa, Elijah, you're crushing it. And all these uh, evil prophets are destroyed. And then Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. I'm going to kill you. And now he's just seen uh, this widow's son raised. He's just seen uh, fire literally come down from heaven. And, and, and Elijah's like, oh my gosh, she's going to kill me. And he runs off and he hides himself. And in that moment, the Lord feeds him again. Feeds him again, even in his unfaithfulness. Feeds him again. And listen to that moment of interaction. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 5. Elijah lays down, he slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. He looked, and behold, there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. This happens another time. And the second time, uh, the angel says this, Arise and eat, and listen to this, he says, For the journey is too much for you. The journey's too much for you, Elijah. You never were supposed to be uh, standing before God or others or yourself saying, I got this. The journey is too much for you. You need me, the Lord. You need me to be your provider. You need me for salvation now and always. The journey is too much for me. Let me keep feeding you week in and week out because you have a mighty Savior in the Lord whose body was broken, his blood was spilled. In him, you'll find the security you long for. In him, you'll find the embrace you long for. In him, you'll find the purpose that you long for. Keep coming back to him to be fed. And every week, we come to the table to remind ourselves, "Ah, I will not serve, I will not worship this or that idol in my life. I, I will not serve, I will not worship myself as my own God. I will not serve, I will not worship my own resources as my own God. I will worship you as my God. Oh, you've shown your goodness to me in your son. So if you're trusting in him this morning, would you take and eat? And if you prayed that prayer of receiving him this morning, you can take and eat and enjoy the fact that you are a son or daughter of the king, your provider. And you can know this in Christ. Let's take and eat together.